This is Blood Bank, a podcast where hospital workers share a story from an experience in medicine that has stayed with them, and then they tell us why. I'm Amanda Rubano, and I'm a medical student at the University of Rochester. Today, you're listening to a different kind of episode. First, there are two parts with the same guest, my professor from undergrad, Justin McDaniel. Part one is a graduation speech he gave at Penn this past year about losing his father to COVID. I was a TA for his course at the time, and in an email to our class the day after his father passed, he wrote, I was holding his hand with one hand and turned off his life support with the other. Anyone who has lost someone close to them, and we all will if we are fortunate enough to love, knows that what you are really doing is turning off your own life support. His insight and ability to articulate the human experience within medicine deserves to be on this platform. So the first episode is his speech, and the second is a conversation between him and I about the speech, his father, and the lessons we learned from him about the vitality of the human spirit. I've had the privilege of knowing Justin for much of my adult life and in the countless encounters we've had. As we turn away from each other, his salutation to me is always, be good. I ask you to remember those words when you hear these episodes. And from me to you, be good. 25 years ago, I was in your seat. I had recently graduated and I was struggling with what I wanted to do with my life. I don't apologetically study classics and history in college because, frankly, I enjoyed them and I was good at them. But I also realized that I probably couldn't save the world with Latin. So I asked my dad for advice on what to do next. We were in a bar. My dad always felt more comfortable in bars. I don't really know why I asked him. He had never gotten a higher education of any sort. He bounced around. He tried new things. He seemed to be pretty mediocre at most things. However, he was the happiest person I knew. And I thought, well, since most of the supposedly successful people I know seem sad, why not ask a happy one? I also admired my dad. He had this way of making everyone around him feel like they mattered. He was disarming. He had these huge hands that comforted shoulders more than formed fists. And he said these words to me. Justin, I'm 52 years old, and I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. And I don't want to ever have to decide. Because then I'll have to be a grown-up. And who the hell would ever want to be a grown-up? That was the type of advice my dad gave me growing up. And it was the type of gift he gave me growing up. The greatest gift a parent could ever give a child. The gift of no expectations. He didn't care if I was successful, graduated, went to certain schools, or knew certain people. He didn't even care if I found myself, calling, my vocation, my passion. He didn't believe in any of that junk. He believed in being present with people, listening to them, meeting them where they were, and allowing them to express that complexity of their many selves. I didn't have to live up to anything. That is the best gift I could give you, is the one I was given. I could pretty much end the graduation speech here. I think that says enough. But I was told to fill five minutes. I'll tell you a little bit more. My dad died six weeks ago from COVID. Nine days before he died, I sat in that hospital, day after day, slowly watching him die, and I could do nothing about it. I have a PhD. 
from a fancy school. I read and speak multiple languages. I've written award-winning books. I've taught thousands of students. None of it mattered. I couldn't increase his blood gas saturation, couldn't regulate his heartbeat. I couldn't even tell him goodbye because he was in a coma and was experiencing cascading organ failure. It was actually strangely liberating being on that corner behind goggles and a double mask, and a purple plastic gown, where I knew none of the words, no one expected me to be an expert at anything. I give lectures and I write for a living at an Ivy League school, but all I could do was sit there in silence. I will watch this beautiful choreography every day. It's choreography of empathy and duty, science and softness that the nurses displayed in caring for a man that they knew wouldn't make it. They gave me hope day after day, even when we all knew there wasn't any. They had such a bad year watching so many people die. And what made that year even worse is that no one could express their sorrow because to do so would be to almost weaponize their pain. I felt particularly self-indulgent expressing my pain. My dad's rapidly worsening condition wasn't a tragedy. It was a statistic. The rest of the planet was suffering more. I was sitting in a perfectly well-equipped medical center. I had a job that I could take a few days off from. And being a white guy, I was waved in by security and given respect just because of the color of my skin and my gender. It was easy on me. So I just sat there, not knowing what to do, day after day, suffering from what the famous writer Nabokov called referential mania. One of Nabokov's stories is about parents whose son is in asylum. His suffering from this referential mania. He sees irrational connections between events, objects, and people. He creates meaning where there is none. His parents travel to see him. They travel across the city. They ride a bus. They wait at stops. They climb steps to the hospital. They bring in a gift of 12 types of jam. They return to their lonely apartment after the visit. They eat fish. They receive two phone calls, both wrong numbers. And the story ends with no real events. Bakov kind of messed with his readers. He titled the story Signs and Symbols. And he forced his reader to try to decipher the meaning of the jars of jam and the phone calls. Readers forced to think about the steps of the apartment, the color of the mother's stockings, and ask themselves, what does it all mean? Nabokov makes the reader feel just what the parents did, hopeless and grasping for signs, for something that will end their son's pain, and in turn, their own. The couple were trying to make meaning out of meaninglessness. And that's exactly what I was doing at the hospital, trying to make meaning out of random death. Watching somebody die can give you a serious case of referential mania. Indeed, I wonder if COVID has forced the planet into the shared condition. Apophenia, or the condition of seeking abnormal meaning, meaningfulness or imagining connections between things, characterized Nabokov's life, actually. He was an expert in lepidoptery, which is the study of butterflies. He was also a chess strategist. He studied things that had a process but had no meaning. Chess games always end the same way. Someone kills the king. There's this process of getting there that matters. The study of butterflies is the study of meaningless cycles. Pretty, yes, but to what end? No great medicines come from butterflies. There are no great source of protein. Even their flight really goes nowhere. They're polymorphic and they strive by mimicry. For gosh sakes, we can't even know what to call them. We can't even decide what to call a butterfly. 
Or in most Indo-European languages, the names for insects are etymologically similar. But butterflies are this rare example of an insect whose name is radically different in each language. Mariposa, farfalla, papillon, schmetterling, summerflugel, babachka. After nine days, we turned off the life support for my father. And anyone who is lucky enough to love someone knows that what that means is turning off your own life support. My dear mother met my dad on a blind date in 1966 when she was visiting Ireland looking for work. Was permitted to spend the last two hours with him. My mom whispered to him for a long time. And when it was time, she rested her head on his chest. Neither of us knew what to expect. Would he shudder at the end? Would there be a death rattle? Would we feel a cold presence in the room? None of that happened. It just ended. It all seemed so meaningless. This tiny moment between life and death. Like the senseless momentary season of a butterfly. My father taught me that life isn't about finding the perfect career, your true calling your passion, your soulmate. It's not about finding the meaning of life. It's about making meaning, about creating meaning out of the precious life you have, about deeply appreciating the meaning-making process of those struggling around you, co-creating a more hopeful and kinder world with others. Nothing might matter in this cold, dark universe, but we have this rare chance every day to make others feel like they matter, to make them feel, even if just for one moment, their life has meaning, their life meaning to us. So I expect nothing of you after you graduate. I don't expect you that you find your passion or your vocation or your calling. I don't expect you'll find your special voice or even your elusive and ever adapting self. I simply ask you to be kind to remind others that they matter, not to the universe, but to you at that moment. You all certainly matter to me, and you will always have a family here at Penn. One week after my father's death, I went to visit my mother, and we went back to the hospital to pick up the last of his belongings. The nurses had put his wedding ring in a urine sample jar. Next to the nurse's station were two clear plastic bags with my dad's name on them, filled with some medication that he would never need again, underwear and one shirt. My mom and I picked up the bags and we drove to Red Lobster for lunch. My mom had fish and chips. I had the combo special. We didn't talk much. What I noticed is that she kept tearing up. Not for my dad, but for this family that she saw in the restaurant not too far from us, this restaurant, this table in the corner, and there was a family with a little girl who had cerebral palsy. She was in a wheelchair, and her siblings doted over her, making sure she could slowly spoon food into her quivering mouth. These children formed this beautiful pattern of care, and my mom whispered in her still quite notable, noticeable Irish brogue, some families really had it tough. Thank you.